Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Protect your relationship with your surrogate. Obtain, protect, and ensure. It has to be the most important thing in the entire journey. It is the thing that will see you through it. It will think that's best for your child in the future. And it will get you through all the ups and downs, including the legal ones that will come. There's a lot of things that, that the law can do that can help get around the other bits and smooth over the bumps in the road if your surrogate is on board with you and you have a good relationship. Communication, without a doubt. It, it doesn't matter if you've got lots of girlfriends or supports or family to speak about. At the end of the day, you need to speak to each other. Hello and welcome to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Anna. And I'm Wes. Hello. We have a really fab episode for you today. Anna and I will be talking to Andrew Spearman and Gina Kinson, both amazing advocates for surrogacy. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot in store for this particular episode. We're going to be talking specifically about those things that could potentially go wrong within your surrogacy journey. So we're here to reassure you there are hurdles when it comes to surrogacy. But in this episode, we talk about how to overcome those hurdles so that you and your surrogate can enjoy your journey together. We'll be back at the end. But for now, here's our conversation with Andrew and Gina. Welcome, Andrew, and welcome, Gina. Today, we're going to be talking about all of those things that go wrong during surrogacy. Hi, Gina and Andrew. Welcome. Gina, can we start with you? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your experience in surrogacy? Yeah, so I'm Gina. I've carried a surrogate baby twice. I've had two journeys, actually with the same IP, so the girls are sisters. I help run a support group for intended parents and for surrogates, and I'm surrogate coordinator of MSJ. Hi, Andrew. Welcome. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and what do you do within surrogacy? I'm a solicitor practicing surrogacy and fertility law. I have for about, oh goodness, 12 years now, 10, 12 years, in helping couples through their journey, both internationally and domestically, through the good stuff and the bad. And I help people obtain parental orders in particular when they return to the UK or if they're in the UK. And I'm a member of the MSJ's advisory board. So one of the questions I hear from intended parents all the time, and I think probably lots of us do, and just from generally people when you're talking about surrogacy, is what happens if the surrogate wants to keep the baby? What would you say to people asking that question? 
So it's a really common question. It's not about whether or not the surrogate wants to keep the baby or even whether or not that occurs to her because in general terms she's generally finished her family so she doesn't actually want any more babies. Also the baby that she's carrying is not conceived in love with her partner, with her husband, so baby belongs to the couple, that's what her intention is, is to give that couple a baby. So we always term it as though you're not actually giving your baby away, you are giving the baby back to their parents, so it's never your baby in the first place. And I guess it must be, do surrogates ever have a sort of ever say, well, what happens if the parents don't want the baby? Is that a concern for surrogates? Yeah, it is a concern. I think, especially if there's, you know, if they've had problems, if there's something in the scan that comes up, perhaps if the baby is disabled or there's been a problem, genetic problem, something like that. If the relationship breaks down, that's quite worrying on the surrogate's part. So whether or not the IPs are actually going to take that baby. I know, Andrew, basically it never happens anyway, but... From a legal perspective, what would happen if this happens? Excellent, excellent question about the law. I mean, just to, to build on that before I answer that, in that one of the best answers that I ever heard to that question that was asked to me was from a surrogate who very eloquently answered with her partner on stage at the time that she and her partner have easier ways of having a family without the stress and the hassle that they have to go through as a surrogate to, to then engage with you to then keep the baby intentionally and go through all that and, and, and that side to it. So it has to, it's a remarkably unusual event from the off, but yeah. uh, I thought I'd just build on that side. But from the, from the legal side, the law is based around consent and all about the relationship. And I think one of the core advice pieces that I say to everybody throughout is all about the relationship and all about from your relationship with your surrogate, the surrogate's relationship with you, how the journey went forward, how it didn't go forward or what happened and how that relationship broke down. Because that's where this you know, wish to keep the child would or could or originate from. It's, uh, as Gina says, it's, it's not their child in their mind to start with and they don't intend and set out in that fashion. So the the law unfortunately is a little bit of a blunt tool because it's stuck in the sort of 1980s and uh, 1990s still and so without the surrogate's consent then the parental order won't go through and that's sort of one of the last absolute bars to parental order that's happening at the moment and andrew just on that piece you know has there ever been any kind of cases where this specific element has happened that you're aware of because i think it's really interesting to put this into context because what you just said gina and what you said andrew is that anna and i speak to ips all of the time and it's one of the first things that they ask and it's such a an anxious moment and if if intended parents haven't been educated at that point that's instantly their first thing just to try and put that in context how many cases have there been that you're aware of in terms of where that has specifically happened where the surrogate wants to keep the baby exceptionally rare exceptionally rare i can think of four or five off the top of my head but that's over years and years of practice in this area and and a lot of people helping ensure that that never takes place i can think of four or five but from my perspective that always has come through because of a breakdown in relationship whether it's the relationship between the surrogates and the ip or actually between the ips you know there's cases and couples who separate and that's a Perhaps another another issue that goes sure. on will come on to in the future, but the surrogate is then stuck in the middle, or surrogate and her partner is stuck in the middle, and and consents are withdrawn and moved around, and the the, the balance of power shifts left, right, and centre. But it is so rare and so unusual. So there's not that much case law in it, thank goodness, as they get resolved without needing to the, the strong arm of the law. 
for intended parents who are right at the start of their journey, what tools or what mechanisms can they put in place to ensure that they have protected themselves uh, to the best of their ability? Arming yourself with as much information as making use of all the resources you can possibly get hold of, whether that's from resources like My Surrogacy Journey, or whether it's from lawyers, or whether it's from counsellors or therapists, or any, anybody who has an interaction with the family building scenario. I know a lot of people prefer not to engage with services of lawyers at the start. It's a cost and it can be a cost. It can be a cost which you you say you don't really need because you've uh, gone online and you've Googled it and you know all the answers that can possibly come under. And sometimes, and like I say, because the it going wrong is so rare, that's, a, you know, for a lot of people that, that could be a solution that works. But a bit like an insurance policy, I would say that getting legal advice and getting a structured advice from as many different professionals, not just lawyers, obviously, but from many different professionals is the way you arm yourself because in communicating and talking then with your surrogates about issues that go wrong they tend not to and it's it's like the the old adage of the the, the surrogacy uh, contracts in the UK they're not binding but you still encourage to have them because you talk about it you engage with each other you thrash through the difficult conversations which you know could come up and you get it written down and even if it's not binding you've had the conversation you both know where you're at you know the relationship is built on strength and so the same way that is that the difficult stuff of what happens if it goes wrong, you need to talk about it. What what could change your surrogate's mind? What could change the IP's mind in not coming and getting the child from the surrogate? You know, it's it's horrific, but it, it, I, think, I don't think that way around has happened in the UK, but it certainly has happened abroad. We hear those horrible stories. For me, the relationship, based on a good foundation, but has to be through getting as much information as possible. And would you say that's equally the same stance for surrogates? Because they're one side of this relationship and need to ensure that they are protected and their interests taken care of. So would you would you recommend the same type of response to surrogates? Yeah, definitely. The response has to be the same because, as you already say, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one person going in full of knowledge and the other person not. That's not really out of balance, again, forming a good relationship. But also your surrogate needs to understand what's going to happen. If they've not done the surrogacy journey before, uh, you know, they may well have had their own family before and be aware of that side, but they may not be as aware about the legal process that will come up uh, and the questions they may be asked and the process that they need to engage in. An issue that I've had a while ago, again, it was more of an international journey, but the, the couple hadn't talked to the surrogate about the need when you come back to the UK to still do the UK legal process. And the, the, the surrogate was verging on apoplectic because she thought it was all done and dusted she'd she'd, she'd signed everything she'd done everything she got everything in the foreign jurisdiction and then she's having to do more stuff with us again and more time and effort being spent and it was although she was very happy to help the the intended parents and the family she, she just couldn't understand how that wasn't a piece of information that was given to her but it was it's one that obviously we smooth over <laughs> we can manage through but again it's about managing your, your surrogates expectations in the communication it's a two-way journey it's a symbiotic relationship and just one more thing gina i know that you span across the independent sector and the agency sector and represent surrogates really really well and we all know that there are you know different camps that people sit in and their personal choices about how they want to work within the surrogacy world in your experience, have you seen in groups, what are the anxieties that surrogates see and discuss in those groups? I think the, the things that a surrogate would like from the IPs is the relationship and the communication. So their worries are that ultimately most surrogates are 
feel that they're going to just be dropped straight after the baby. You know, they didn't go into this to create their own family. They didn't go into this to, well, not many of them, you know, because pregnancy is not easy. You know, it takes a long time. It puts a lot of pressure on your family. An enjoyable time. We all are aware that it is a roller coaster. So surrounding yourself by good support and having like Andrew said, with your expectations, is being realistic with them. So you are going to feel down, you are going to feel low, your IPs are going to be busy, they've got a newborn. So it's about the more experienced surrogates and the organisation and the people around you explaining to you and make it more realistic on on what the journey is going to be about. I think this is probably Gina, for both Gina and Andrew. We talked. You talked a little bit about the importance of having an agreement, albeit it's not legally binding, Can you tell us a bit about, maybe from a surrogate's perspective, Gina, and then, Andrew, in your experience, what are the buckets of information that people need to think about when you're thinking about those agreements? What are the really important conversations that IPs and surrogates need to have with each other? First thing I think is the relationship, like what kind of communication and what kind of relationship. Also, the what you're going to do with regards to termination, what you're going to do with obviously expenses is a big one, what your expectations are surrounding money, talking about how you're going to support each other through the journey, whether or not you're going to tell people, you know, any, because obviously everything is on social media now. So you you want to be on the same page with regards to how you're intending to go down this road and what what your expectations are with each other. Obviously the birth plan, what's going to happen at the birth, whether or not the IPs are going to be at the birth, what will happen if something terrible happens, you know, miscarriage or or stillbirth or anything that can go wrong. And it's generally when something goes wrong and you have that difficult time, that sort of grieving time or if you have to decide whether or not to have a termination or something like that, it's that People retreat, so you tend to go into yourself, so the IPs and the surrogates will retreat back from each other and the communication can be really lax then. So that's when you need your team around you, you need people around you to support you and say, look, we're here for you, share your worries, share your griefs, and then let get, let's get you back on, on that journey, back on that path to, to do what you intended to do regardless of the circumstances. I know it's not legally binding, but is there anything from a sort of legal perspective that can go into an agreement that helps any of the... Yes, I mean, it's it's less law and and more my experience, I suppose, from seeing people go through it and when I'm talking to people. As I wholeheartedly endorse what Gina says about that because the document itself is a reflection of your future potential journey. But unfortunately, it's a little bit of disaster planning as well. And you don't ever want to think about things going wrong. And you're suggested to create this document where, what if this happens? This is what we do. This, what if this happens? This is what we do. You know, death, stress, termination, big ticket items where you hope it never happens. You never, never want to have that conversation. No no mother wants to have that conversation. No father wants to have that conversation. No IP wants to have that conversation. Nobody wants that conversation. But you need to, to do it. And a lot of the time when I'm talking to people about uh, starting the start their journey, it's making sure they do it and have that conversation, whatever form that document takes, because it's not legally binding. The most important thing is you have the conversation and you have it put down somewhere so you remember 
what you all talked about. The mind plays fun tricks, or the memory plays fun tricks on you if you're not careful, and so the, the importance of that document. And then flipping on its head, obviously the whole process is geared towards making sure you get the parental order at the end of it. So you've got to make sure that you also talk about the criteria for the parental order and the, the big ticket items there, obviously your surrogate's consent, but also the expenses. Um, like Gina was just talking about, you know, you've got to talk about the money. Nobody likes talking about money. Nobody likes quoting things or, you know, asking for money or being given money when you don't think you probably deserve it. And, you know, surrogates go into this, uh, speaking on Gina's behalf, but surrogate, surrogates <laughs> go into this not wanting to make money. And actually, it's just as hard for them to talk about budgeting for what they expect to be seeing as much as IPs want to give the money out. The conversation runs in both ways, doesn't it? But you've got to have the conversation and it's really got to be documented because you've got to remember what you agreed, what the outline was. So from my perspective, from coming at it from the other way, from the parental order, the document is important to me to consolidate the relationship because without relationship, we have consent issues around the, the relationship breakdown. And then looking back, did we actually follow through what we agreed as adults was going to happen? And what is the outcome? The court analyzes the output rather than the process, but it, it will look at the process to make sure that this was a consensual journey. And, and that's a great document to show. And Andrew, you know, I, we totally get that, you know, this is not a legally binding document. But if if the worst case scenario happened and IP's surrogate ended up in court, how would the courts view this document? Would they see it as a demonstration of intent? Would they view it as that two parties agreeing? What would the view of the court be on that document? It's certainly not worth a lot of the paper it's written on, but it has a lot of sort of moral and compunctual weight, isn't it? The judges and the magistrates who look at these cases are humans at the end of the day. It is an intent-based system still, and we're, we're gearing up on that with the law reforms, but it is still a, a situation where that agreement has no binding effect, and the only interest the court has is the best interest of the child. They can't grant the parental order without without the consent from the surrogate so that is an absolute bar but there are a raft of other court orders you could get and you look at this agreement and say well how did you agree all these things and then you get to a position where you won't give consent well part of the consent issue for a moment where's the child going to live millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. How much time are we going to spend with the different parents? You've got the IPs on one side and you've got the surrogate and her family or partner on the other side. 
there's a continual balancing act. The document will obviously be brought up, but it certainly won't change a court's decision if the interests of the child uh, are pushed in a particular direction, even if it's contrary to what you put in that document. The court will always look at it at the time the case is brought, and at that time, things change. Life sure. change. Children grow up, don't they? As much as <laughs> quite fast in some cases. So it's a it's a good document to have, but don't think you're going to get away from the court's jurisdiction by having it. And now I'm going to pass over to Anna, because we at My Story Journey, we want to make sure that we are always balanced. It's, we also support intended parents on an international journey. So I think it's really important that we cover this element off within this episode. So Anna, in terms of an international journey, what do you foresee as some of the concerns that international IPs have when you know embarking on an international journey? I think... One of the first issues with international is that there are so many different parties involved. So a lawyer in the UK, wherever you're going, agencies, clinics, insurance, it just seems like so many, so many parties. And I think people just think, oh, it feels like this insurmountable project and we don't really know where to start. I always say to people, the first thing is start with a lawyer in your home country, that you need to know what you're doing is allowed in your country and what, and what you're doing, wherever you're doing it. And that's a great place to start. Do you, would you agree with that, Andrew? <laughs> oh, t- uh, totally. <laughs> I know it sounds oddly self-serving. Yeah. I'm saying, oh, yes, yes, talk to me, of course. But no, I would, because ultimately you live here. Or if you're looking at surrogacy and you're, you live in the UK, this is where you want your rights to be recognised. This is where you want the parental law to be granted. This is where your your legal parenthood needs to, to vest and be consolidated. You can't go through the rigmarole of all those parties and all that time and all that energy and money to then come back to the UK and we go, well, you missed that. And you missed that bit which you needed to do before you even started or, or something like that. The, the process is set out in a particular way which makes it clear. But you can miss bits if you're not careful and the court will bend over backwards to try and get again the child's best interest to be served but some stuff it's too late um or you've already done it uh, and it already then causes you a problem so start with where you went want to finish and then work backwards from there in the timeline and it will all slot into place because this is a well-trodden path so yes starting here makes sense and unsurprisingly we can usually guide you and tell you where you know certain jurisdictions or interactions with different jurisdictions and how although you may think the law is the same in in every other country because you've you've grown up in the UK or you've not grown up in the UK but you like the UK's laws if you go to that country that's that's not what you think it's going to be I know you've, you've seen this and you've seen a lot of adverts but the fine print of the return journey and, and what, what extra hassle you get into as a consequence of that jurisdiction, it's not as rosy as it looks. Yeah, I think people often, especially with the US, with such robust surrogacy-friendly laws, people think, well, I'm going to, to the US, so it's easy, there won't be any problems. And people forget that whatever the laws are in the US, they don't take they don't hold anything in the UK, but as soon as you come home, it's the UK law that matters. I think one of the other things is, again, coming back to sort of all these different parties involved, it's really important that everyone works in concert together. So your UK lawyer knows who your US lawyer is and your agency and your clinic that that you, you essentially have one team of professionals who's supporting you and guiding you through the process. Yes, I, I entirely, because you also know that professionals work. 
the the industry isn't so big that we don't know a lot of the main players that work yeah. with it and we all know each other and we know the the work that, that comes through it the benefit of having a team that knows each other is it's usually more streamlined better communication they know what's they know what i need and i know what they need we can predict it and deal with it and just put it into the rules. So again, it takes the stress away from the intended parents and the surrogate who can be carried on the journey with you. We've talked quite a bit about parental orders. I know when I first started surrogacy, I'd never heard about a parental order and didn't <laughs> know what it was. Do you want to give us, a, just to tell us a little bit about what, what that means and why, why do you have to do it? Yes, good question. I'm such a huge fan of parental orders. It's, it's something I, I spent most of my life doing. But I think that there's such a fantastic order because they transfer the legal parenthood from the surrogate and their spouse, who is the automatic parent, or the spouse is the parent if they're married, to the intended parents. Law and, and the birth certificates are not a matter of biology. They haven't been for a very long time. They don't direct your biological connection. They direct legal parenthood. And so the parental order is the process of transferring the parenthood from the surrogate, who is automatically the legal parent, and the spouse to the intended parents, absolutely. And you, in the UK, you get a new birth certificate issued, uh, which will then be the document that, that will then be used forevermore. It's akin to an adoption order, but only from overarching process. And I think you, you need to stop at your comparison of anybody who says it's basically an adoption order and needs to step back and actually learn what the process is. <laughs> but for, for an easy way to understand it, you yeah. could call it like that. I talk to a lot of intended parents, and I think they often feel quite intimidated by the whole process that it's kind of legal if you did international you have to go to the high court and I know from my own experience for for our first child and then our twins it was the most wonderful day both of them it was a real kind of celebration of everything that we'd done what we'd been through the fact that it was at the high court kind of gave us this like recognition of how bloody hard the whole thing had been and we loved it so I always say to people just look forward to that day that's a time to get a big tick yeah I mean, well a, done you've done it it's a beautiful building as well yeah <laughs> I mean, that's a bit as I'm going go oh nice yeah. <laughs> but it is a celebration I mean you can imagine that you guys uh, and IPs and surrogates have all worked very hard to get to that end journey and it's an additional step which the UK puts in place that a lot of people think well you know we really it really needs to be like the American stuff and do it all pre-birth and then just comes into to effect well that's one good way of looking at it but there's there's something quite nice about actually having that celebration and having that final bit of paper that comes in and says that's it your parents that's the job done and you know everybody supports you the court supports you and they want to help you go through it and it's such a lovely area of the law to work in but the same for the judges the deal was some pretty dark stuff in the high court of the family division for you guys to come in and actually enjoy that with them, they couldn't be happier to have you there. For us, I mean, the first with Tallulah, I, you know, we really didn't know what to expect. We weren't educated. In some respects, we were quite, we were bricking it. <laughs> but it was such a, as you said, Anna, it was such a wonderful day. And it was a really emotional day, yeah. actually. We all know surrogacy is a long journey. It's never quick. It's a long journey. There's ups and downs all the, all the way through it. But that, that final day when parental responsibility is granted and you are the legal parents, that's a really emotional day. And I remember when we went for Duke, we were like, we were so ready for this, knowing what to expect for the second time. So it was it was a really emotional day. And I think both of us cried on both occasions. <laughs> so I know Anna's talked about those elements of risks. Now, 
We talk to a lot of intended parents who potentially want to explore other routes to creating their family, maybe in Europe, uh, maybe in Mexico or, or other areas that we necessarily don't think are as secure as the US and Canada. What advice would you have for those intended parents who want to maybe pursue the Ukraine or Georgia or all of those countries who are oh, a, bit, a bit up and coming around the surrogacy world? Be careful. I, I think it's their jurisdictions which are up and coming. They are they have very good aspects to them. Things which are quite attractive to couples who are looking around and, and searching around. Price point is an obvious one. They tend to be less in cost. I think you obviously have to say, and I'm obliged to say, you must get legal advice in the jurisdiction that you're going to. <laughs> I think I'd be shot, hung, drawn, and quartered if I if I didn't say that. But I would I would even more wholeheartedly recommend that. And somebody who's actually independent, not just somebody who's from your the agency or the structure that's over there. It's very easy to be wrapped in and very very uh, well looked after by an agency or third party that's there. But it is a very different structure. And to be perfectly blunt, a much more commercial-driven profit aspect. And it's, it tends to be less transparent for good and bad. You know, there's for every pro, there's a con, isn't there? But I, I am more concerned with the transparency aspects to it. When you come back to the UK, it causes a little bit of difficulty, actually, then unpicking it all. Uh, and it tends to be unpicking if things go wrong in those jurisdictions or, or with the surrogate or with the intended parents, in fact. If you come back and something happens to you as intended parents, unpicking that jurisdiction takes a mammoth amount of time in contrast to the US or Canadian jurisdictions where if things go wrong you know it's difficult but you have a clear line of very understandable laws and very clear line of what's happened and what hasn't happened countries like Georgia and Ukraine they think it's all very clear in their jurisdictions it's all very clear but the interaction and meshing back with the UK law causes us some more difficulty than you would otherwise want expensive complications if it yeah. goes wrong. And I think when, when I talk to IPs, and I'm sure it's the same with you, Anna, in terms of people talk about some of these destinations, and often it's, like you say, Andrew, it's cost-driven because they you know they, they might not be able to afford North American Journey, but they don't have time on their side, so they're more you know looking at more affordable options that are close to home that fit within the timeline because the UK surrogacy isn't for them from a time point of view. One thing I always ask IPs to maybe consider is you know the welfare of the surrogate because often in these countries, the welfare of the surrogate isn't always at the top of their list. And like you mentioned, transparency. You, they're not always transparent about where the surrogate's from, whether the surrogate's traveling for it, who the surrogate is and whether they're well looked after, whether they're actually consenting, whether this is a full commercial arrangement. So that, those are one of the things that I ask you know, intended parents to consider. And I often think that sometimes intended parents, when they are choosing this route, they are focused mm -hmm. on one thing, which is trying to achieve their family goals. And often don't use the same level of judgment as they would if they didn't have that uh, kind of drive in front of them. Definitely. You've got to admire somebody's drive to become a parent. And anybody who, who is a parent would appreciate and understand why it's so great to be. Totally. But the the single-mindedness can blind you to the the conditions and the, the background to surrogacy in some of these jurisdictions. Certainly not all of them and certainly not all agencies. And, you know, it's a very blanket comment, isn't it? But I would say you have to just be more aware that the transparency for me on the cost issue is one that causes me great concern. And it's very difficult when you come back to the UK for the High Court to deal with it because they've got a child. You're obviously loving parents. It's a bit of a sort of fait accompli, isn't it? It's obvious in the child's interest for you to be the legal parents for the child. But 
rewind it for a moment and if you're a same-sex couple people like that are still going to Georgia uh, a country which doesn't recognize you as a same-sex couple for the purpose of surrogacy so only one of you could potentially be on the birth certificate you have a third person sometimes from the agency a completely random person on the child's birth certificate in Georgia so you've got a Georgian certificate which we in the UK don't recognize because we don't recognize the original one so your surrogate's actually the legal parent in the UK but in Georgia you've got one of you and this other third party person then you're coming back to the UK and getting a new birth certificate you should hear with you and your partner on but you've still got the other birth certificate because you can't undo the Georgian law. So then imagine traveling or relocating in the future to the US or to, to France or Germany. Which, which birth certificate is this country going to recognize? Is it our one or is it the one from Georgia? You know, the, the, the complications and ramifications are, are more than what people realize because they are so adamant to become parents that they don't look at the forecast for the future. Their parenthood, in my view, sometimes comes at the cost of the child's certainty of their own legal parenthood. And we can iron it within the UK because the child will be put at the first and foremost. But I worry about the future for some of these outcomes and some of these um, surrogacy journeys. I was going to say, I think a really good barometer when you're thinking about where to do surrogacy, and I get it because I had years of struggling and you are so focused is always remembering that surrogacy, above anything, is a human interaction. It is between intended parents and a surrogate. And Gina's told us, you know, what a surrogate needs. And when you're looking at other places, are you going to have interaction with your surrogate? Are you going to be able to communicate? Are you going to be able to build something? It might not be the same as in the UK, but you you need to know who this woman is and you need to be able to to, to communicate. And if that is off the table, then... There's probably a lack of transparency around many other things. You also have to be able to tell your child in later life how they came about. And a surrogate plays a vital part of that. And if you, you know, just use George as an example, you might not be able to interact with that, that you might not even know who they are. And how would you then piece that jigsaw together for your children later in life to be able to help them understand how they came into the world. And also from a surrogate's perspective, like a majority of women come into this, they want to know how that child's doing. They they do have a vested interest, even if you're, you know, doing it for compensation or whatever, you still like to know how that child is doing. And I think if you can give that back as an IP, you're kind of giving each other something amazing. So if that's possible to maintain that contact and it doesn't have to be you know for long phone calls or visits or anything like that but just the odd photograph or you know and if if you can't have that communication with your surrogate because of international laws or whatever it's yeah it's just a little bit sad really because she gets a lot out of it I think. So just, I want to do like a quick fire round, guys. So Hello. just, Gina, your single most valuable piece of advice for intended parents and surrogates. Communication, without a doubt. It, it doesn't matter if you've got lots of girlfriends or supports or family to speak about. At the end of the day, any question that you ask a friend or a family member to help you that you don't know, you can ask your IP or you can ask your surrogate. Ultimately, you are in the relationship, so you need to speak to each other. Amazing. Andrew, same question. P- best piece of advice, as I know obviously you're a lawyer, but best piece of advice for surrogates and intended parents when embarking on a surrogacy journey? Protect your relationship with your surrogate. Obtain, protect and ensure 
it has to be the most important thing in the entire journey. It is the thing that will see you through it. It will thing that's best for your child in the future. And it will get you through all the ups and downs, including the legal ones that will come. There's a lot of things that, that the law can do that can help get around the other bits and smooth over the bumps in the road. If your surrogate is on board with you and you have a good relationship, as soon as you lose that, you're stuffed. Amazing. Some very wise words. Thank you both for your time today. I would happily talk all day about this topic because it's mine and Anna's yeah. passion. Thanks, Andrew and Gina, for joining my Surrogacy Journey podcast. Whereas I really enjoyed that. What kind of did you take away from it? I loved this episode. My biggest takeaway from this was about how key communication is and how key building a relationship with your surrogate is and going into a journey with your eyes wide open. So if you like this, you can find the rest of the series on Apple Podcasts, ACAST, Spotify, and my Surrogacy Journey member portal. Or you can visit our website, which is mysurrogacyjourney.com. Thanks for listening, and there'll be another episode next week. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.